Welcome to the first episode of The Foreign Desk with Lisa Deftari. What a timely and relevant week to kick off our podcast here with the monumental signing of the Abraham Accords, the normalizing of relations between Israel and not just one, but two Arab neighbors, Bahrain and, of course, the United Arab Emirates, brokered by the Trump administration. It's quite historic as this is the first formal warming of ties between Israel and one of its Arab neighbors in over a quarter of a century. As you've probably heard many people joking, it took 26 years to get the first deal with the United Arab Emirates and then only 29 days to get the second with Bahrain. And this is more important than ever because we're looking at the constant daily violence between the Palestinians and Israel. We're seeing when tensions are the highest, when Hamas seems like it will not put down its sword, it will not surrender, there will be no ceasefire. And of course, earlier this year, we saw Jared Kushner and the Trump administration offer a peace deal to the Palestinians, which was dead on arrival. Uh, It doesn't look like they're going to come around anytime soon. But of course, the Iranian regime remaining a regional rogue player, exporting, supporting terror proxies throughout the Middle East with footprints in Yemen, Iraq, Lebanon, Syria, Gaza. So what does the Arab world say? We're gonna do this without you. We're not gonna stay in the dark ages. We're gonna go forward. We're gonna get access to technology, to apps, to maybe a COVID vaccine. We're gonna have access to uh, imports and exports and tourism. And really this, this is the Arab Spring people. This is the Arab Spring. This is the opportunity that people in the Arab world have been waiting for. And I said this on an Al Jazeera show just last week and the anchor got pretty angry with me, but I said, the, pal- the, the people of the, 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 of the Arab world do not go to sleep at night and think about the Palestinian people. That's not what's on their minds. What is on their minds? Their future, opportunity, growing, joining modernity. And this deal, the Abraham Accords, which we thought would never happen, which would never be possible, is going to give them that. That's why we're so sure, and that's what the Trump administration is so sure about, more countries signing on to what seems like a no-brainer for them. I actually had the unique opportunity to receive an invitation to attend the signing of the peace deal on Tuesday. I was on the South Lawn of the White House and wow, what a tremendous moment to witness up close. Many of us saw, and I was younger at that time, but the handshake between Yasser Arafat and Yitzhak Rabin on the lawn of the White House, brokered by Bill Clinton at the time. But I can tell you that was very different. It just didn't seem genuine, it didn't seem long-lasting, and it wasn't. But Tuesday's event was extremely different. There was a positivity, an optimism, a genuine sense that this is a tremendous leap forward. You could feel it. You could feel that this would be a significant line in the sand, a development for the course and future of the Middle East and the people of that region. Let's take a listen to some of President Trump's opening remarks. We're here this afternoon to change the course of history. After decades of division and conflict, we mark the dawn of a new Middle East. Thanks to the great courage of the leaders of these three countries, we take a major stride toward a future in which people of all faiths and backgrounds live together in peace and prosperity. In a few moments, these visionary leaders will sign the first two peace deals between Israel and the 
Arab state in more than a quarter century. In Israel's entire history, there have previously been only two such agreements. Now we have achieved two in a single month, and there are more to follow. To talk about all this, we will speak to a gentleman who was on the front lines of brokering this deal. We will speak to Avi Berkowitz, assistant to the president and White House Mideast Peace Envoy, about his involvement with the Abraham Accords and how the heck did you get this deal, Avi? <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me on. And, you know, the president obviously deserves the, the vast majority of the credit and Jared Kushner as well. And really, it's been years in the making. You know, uh, we had two deals in the course of 29 days, but this began when the president took office. He approached this, he, and he told Jared to take, you know, a non-traditional, unconventional approach to to bring, you know, first to put out a plan, right? So it took about three years of analysis. Um, and on January 28, 2020, the administration put out its vision for peace, a, a comprehensive plan, a practical, realistic plan between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And at the same time, we were engaging with numerous Arab states in the region and Muslim-majority states and hearing their thoughts on what a, what a deal could actually look like. And when Jared would travel to the region, the refrain from all of these countries was, you know, relatively the same, that they really want to move past this issue. The Palestinians no longer, in their minds, deserve a veto. And so when the president put out this, our plan, the vision for peace, ultimately they looked at it and said, this is a realistic vision. It has the potential to bring the sides together. And we hope the Palestinians will come to the table, but we're not going to allow them that veto. And so under Jared Kushner's leadership, the team was really able to 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 sit in a room for weeks at a time with the Emiratis and the Israelis. And luckily, you know, thank God we were able to get a deal. Yeah, I mean, it's wonderful. It certainly is an outside the box solution that no one, no one um, would have thought of or, or no one would have thought it was, you know, possible, feasible to get such a deal. But, you know, can you bridge the gap for me here? Because obviously, you know, um, we saw the deal that was offered to the Palestinians. Um, you know, I actually uh, had the pleasure of, of meeting with Jared Kushner at the White House before the rollout. And, um, you know, it looked like a, too good to be true. But obviously on the side of the Palestinians, means it was dead on arrival. So first of all, why why do you think the Palestinians turned this down, you know, so so quickly when it had so much economic promise? And secondly, how will the Abraham Accords now potentially bring about peace with the Palestinians in the future? So unfortunately, they actually turned down the deal even before the plan was put out. Prior to January 28th, they rejected the deal. And Obviously, that shows, you know, a lack of good faith, which is really unfortunate because we we actually think that the plan has a chance, a real a real chance of success. And it, it most likely over the next few years, as as this as other countries come into the Abraham Accords, what you're going to see is that the the region will shift you know, transform it. And you're already seeing it with the Emiratis who are um, making investments in Israel, MOUs, commercial flights, tourism is going to be starting soon. So you're already seeing a shift in the region. And it's not necessarily our intention to weaken the Palestinian position, but that is what is happening as a result of these accords. 
And we're hopeful that if not this current leadership, eventually somebody there will say, look, it's time for us to come back to the table and negotiate. And on, uh, yet on two days ago at the White House, unfortunately, the only reason we were talking about Palestinians was because Palestinians in Gaza were sending rockets into communities in Israel. And on a day of peace, if the only reason people are talking about you is because terrorists are sending rockets into Israel, you know, you're on the wrong side. Yeah, but how do we how do we get people on the right side, Avi? When you look at this, there are, it, you know, to, to people who understand the region, this is it's it's epic. This will completely change the course, um, and and organically it will change the course. Obviously, you know, the Arabs want access to everything that Israel has to offer. It's such a it's a symbiotic relationship. It's a natural relationship. Yeah. But you know, yeah. you you have CNN calling this, you know, a, just a, a, an event at the White House with no social distancing. You know, you have you have this being completely downplayed by the media. And then, you know, we've had years, decades of the Palestinian-Israeli issue being misconstrued by the mainstream media as well. So how do we how do we get around this? So I think there's two points there. There's how do we how do we move the ball forward and how do you deal with criticism that unfortunately is sometimes not rooted in the best of faith, right? So how do we move this forward? Uh, we are currently in negotiations with numerous other Arab or Muslim majority countries in the region. Now, Which one? that Can is, you, the, <laughs> you know, the president intimated some. I would I'll, that is his decision to put it out. I will sort of refrain from doing so. But numerous countries, uh, the president, I think, even listed. I think he put out a number of five to seven. And I can tell you we are having those conversations. So there's two tracks. There's the Arab-Israeli conflict. It's not so much a conflict, but it's sort of an intransigence, an inability to, I mean, yeah, I guess a conflict. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll use that term. And then you have the Israeli-Palestinian <laughs> conflict. Um, Avi, don't so, hold back. Not here. Don't yeah, hold back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be diplomatic, but I'm, I'm failing. But, um, you know, it's just we're, we're moving forward on one, and at the same time, I think what people are seeing is that the other is it's languishing, but at no fault of Israel, at no fault of the United States. And that's very important for the entire world to see, because there are still reasonable countries throughout the world that are giving money to the Palestinians, despite the fact that they pay terrorists and have an incentive structure that allows if someone kills an Israeli to receive a stipend for the rest of their life. Right. I mean, why would anybody pay for that? And so what's, what's slowly beginning to happen is reality and truth, thanks to President Trump's leadership and Jared Kushner, is being brought into the equation. And we have, since the president made the announcement in December of 2017, believed that that is a necessary component to ultimately making peace between Israel and the Palestinians. And on the, on the same sort of road, but different track, we're, you know, we're moving forward with the Israeli-Arab conflict to make as many peace deals as possible. So we see progress on both fronts. Yeah, it's it's interesting, though, Avi, as you're speaking, I'm thinking, well, you know, get paid to kill an Israeli. Uh, and here in this country, you have, you know, two police officers shot point blank and then protesters outside the hospital chanting, we hope you die. You know, it, it's um, I, I've always said this in my work in the, covering the Middle East, you know, follow what's happening in Israel and it'll soon be at our doorstep here in the United States. And, um, you know, very unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of that play out. Do you 
do you think that once, or I should say, are you hopeful that once this environment, the, the current political ambiance that we're living in right now here in the United States settles down, there will be you know, a, a different approach to foreign policy, to the Middle East, to being, you know, exceptional once again here in the United States, to look at United the, the U.S. As, as a leader in the world? And, and do you think that's one of the reasons perhaps why the media has been so critical and um, unwilling to really recognize what this accord means? I mean, I hope so. American diplomacy is, is, is really important. And I don't think any other country could have led these negotiations in a way that Israel would have felt comfortable and the UAE and then Bahrain would have felt comfortable. So the place of the U.S., it's our standing in the world is not to be sort of put to the side. It's of immense consequence. And we invited Democrats. I believe some attended. Honestly, I didn't pay too much attention because it was a very busy day. But the, the thought process was is we want as many people to celebrate this, put aside the politics, because when America is put in a place of, you know, esteem around the world, it, 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 it's important that we as Americans recognize that and, and celebrate it as well. And as you say about criticism, you know, look, uh, this president gets criticized for the weather. So it's, it's, it's hard mm -hmm. sometimes to take criticism seriously. But I think it's actually a disservice that the critics are doing to themselves, because criticism is very valid and important in life, right? When you're working on something, it can sometimes be difficult to know if you're doing the best or the right thing, and you, you try with the information you're given, and you work and you try your best, right? But when the critics are not, you know, working in good faith, it, you discount what they're saying, and it gets put to the side, and you lose a certain check that is a helpful component of life. You know, if, if we were doing something wrong and it was actually obvious and people would point it out to us, we would want to know. But because it's become this sort of highly politicized, no matter what you do, it's wrong world, right. it becomes a little bit difficult to discern who is actually giving you advice in good faith and who isn't. And so I think the people are actually doing more disservice to themselves, but I wish we could get that honest feedback because I think it would help us do our job. Right. And you know, to that point, you know, Nancy Pelosi calling it a distraction. Others saying that President Trump is just doing this to get reelected. Um, still, others saying that these are two insignificant countries that didn't even have bad relations with Israel to begin with. So why have a yeah. peace deal? You know, I, I find the the criticism of this not being a peace deal to be one of the sort of more interesting ones. The parties, by their own signature, signatures, signed what they call a peace agreement. Literally, the Bahrainis, it's called a declaration of peace and with Israel, and the UAE is literally, it says, a treaty of peace. It's a peace agreement. <laughs> so I don't exactly know why there, people are, are stuck on that. I, I, I guess it's an attempt to minimize it. But, I mean, what is peace if not the interaction of people who were once not interacting? And, and that is what is happening now, and it's very exciting. And, and I'm happy for the Israelis and the Emiratis and the Bahrainis more than anything else on this because it's going to improve their lives. So we want to call it a peace treaty or, you know, getting to know you. It doesn't so much matter. It's, it's a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing. And, um, you know, speaking of, of, of which, I think, you know, one of the things that's, um, again, being overlooked by the media, by um, obviously we're in a, in a very, very contentious, you know, election cycle, um, you know, it really puts the Biden-Harris ticket on the spot to come up with 
what their vision of the Middle East is. They can no longer run on just the fact that they're not Donald Trump. Um, you know, what are some of the um, concrete bullet points that you can give me going forward um, for, for the next four years for Donald Trump if he should get reelected regarding the Middle East? Well, you know, the president really spoke about this the other day, and, and I can sort of just reiterate it. The, these, these agreements that we are working on with numerous other countries, they take time. And they, I firmly believe that one of the main reasons they're doing it is because of the way the president has stood up to Iran. And, you know, the last administration, I think it's, you know, it would be safe to assume that if they were given, you know, another chance at it, would go back into the Iran deal, which is a failed deal that would have allowed Iran access to a nuclear weapon and empowered them by giving them billions upon billions of dollars in sanctions relief that they then spread across the region to in, in a state sponsor of terrorism. And so it could not be more sort of dramatic in the sense that all of our partners in the region want to work with us to both improve their relationship with the United States, to further um, their relationship with Israel and to push back on aggression in the region. And I think, I think it's really important that we have that opportunity, and I'm hopeful that we will, uh, if the American public so, so gives us that honor to you know, continue that, that effort. So what do we do with the Iranian regime, Avi? <laughs> that is for people that uh, have been working on that for years. I you know, I work very closely with Brian Hook, who, who worked yeah. on that file with the Secretary of State and Jared Kushner and the president. Look, it's, it's, it's a really big problem. But what the president has, has said is, should he win election, re-election, uh, the Iranian regime will want to make a deal with him because the pressure that he has put on them for the last few years has, been, has had a significant toll. And it appears that they have tried to wait him out because they're hopeful that a different administration would give them relief to allow them to return to their old ways. And so I think the most important component, honestly, is the president. And so, so long as he continues in his, in his, in his capacity as executive, uh, you know, running this country, uh, we have, I think we have a good chance of, of fixing that problem. Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I speak to people uh, from Iran daily. We actually did a poll here at the Foreign Desk, which shows the, the people of Iran actually love Donald Trump for the most part. Um, they're very much yeah. on board with even the sanctions, even though it affects them. I know it sounds really you know, weird to hear that it affects them, it affects Main Street economy, but they are for the sanctions if it should break the back of, of the government. So you're absolutely uh, right about that. Um, and elephant in the room, which is not spoken about. Obviously, um, the, the, the Iranians are the rogue, rogue player, but we don't talk about Qatar. We don't talk about their, their role in all of this. And they came out the morning after the Abraham Accords were signed saying, heck no, we will not be signatory to this. We will not um, normalize relations with Israel. So what do we do about that? Yeah, uh, you know, we would love for everybody to come out with a positive reaction to this, you know, Oman, Egypt, but it's a complicated region and, and people are, 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 in, are in sort of difficult spots there. And I will say the Qataris have helped with uh, Gaza, with Hamas brokering ceasefires. And so we are, we are appreciative for that. But look, it's a, it's, it's, it's a difficult, difficult region that is constantly under pressure. And if we can move the ball forward with further normalizations, further peace with Israel and its 
and its Arab neighbors, uh, we'll, we'll have a real chance of, of putting that region and continuing it on this trajectory that President Trump and Jared Kushner have put it on. I read somewhere, Avi, that not only did you have a role in all of this, but you were given a major honor in completing the deal. Want to tell us a bit about that? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> thank you. Um, so Jared and Dan Scavino, so we had the call on August 13th with Prime Minister Netanyahu and Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed and the president. And the president uh, led the call and there was about 20 or 30 people in the room just listening. And, and just being in that room, I'll tell you, was quite the experience, really an experience of a lifetime. And honestly, we got to do it again with Bahrain. So experience of a lifetime times two, uh, which this job has been really wonderful in that way and that Every day, it almost seems to outlast the day before it, working you know, with such tremendous people and, and, and working on so many difficult but exciting issues. And the president, we had, we had drafted a joint statement with the three countries. Uh, and on August 13th, the plan was that after the call, we would, we would finish the call and then we would release the joint statement, which, by the way, is a miracle in its own right in Washington, D.C. these days to work on something for months and have not, not a word of it leaked to the media. Um, and so at the end of the call, the tweet was ready, and Dan Scavino and Jared called me over and said that I could push the button to tweet out the news to the world. So I was, in a way, formally allowed to announce to the world uh, the, the deal. And I'll tell you, my finger was, was like shaking just at the like magnitude of it. And I, I actually like almost missed. I had to like use my other hand to like, you know, but it's, it wasn't lost on me. What a, what a big honor that was. And, and it was very, it was a cool experience. In the words of fangirls all over the world, I will never wash this finger again. That's a great story, Avi. I will leave it here. I just wanted to end with all the speeches on Tuesday were so moving, so illustrative, so incredibly descriptive of what the experience of living in the Middle East is. But the one sentence that really captured it all for me was by Bibi Netanyahu, who said, for those who bear the wounds of war, cherish the blessings of peace. Really captures what's going on in the Middle East and hopefully gives us the optimism that we are looking for in the region for better days to come. Congratulations to you, Avi, to Jared, to the entire White House, and thank you for being with us here today. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for having me and congratulations to you on, on this new show. So all the best. I want to thank you all for tuning in today to the first episode of The Foreign Desk with Lisa Daftari. I encourage you all to sign up for my daily newsletter, Lisa's Top 10. It'll give you all the news stories you need for the day. Go to www.foreigndesknews.com slash newsletter. And also remember to subscribe to our YouTube page to get the uh, podcasts in a timely manner. You can go to uh, youtube.com slash Lisa Daftari. Thank you for following and talk to you next time.